Welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode six of the increasingly poorly named You Only Live Man Twice, <laughs> uh, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Choju Sentai Live Man. Every time we do this, we watch an episode of that show and share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is Matt J. With me, as always, is my co-host and buddy, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? I am doing really good. It's been a bit, man, since we have done this. It has been a bit since we have done a live, man. <laughs> I was watching, I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about the episode itself, but when I was watching this episode today, I was like, who are these people? Why is this Why is this person not a person anymore? What has happened? <laughs> I need to like go back and look at my old notes. Yeah. I always hit the uh, Power Rangers wiki before we start up just to refresh myself <laughs> on the fundamentals of live, man. Right, like, what are these characters' names? (laughs) I have a little cheat sheet at the top of my notes. Yep. I unintentionally, because I just copy-pasted it in, have a color-coded cheat sheet at the top of my notes. Ooh. Yeah, including two characters we haven't met yet. Someday, I assume we will meet those characters. (laughs) Yeah. Unless Dave and I are able to actually keep to a more reasonable schedule. (laughs) Um, Oh, listeners, as you may have guessed... uh, we had a bit of a scheduling conflict this week, uh, and so instead of just putting it off, Mark and I are doing a live man, and I'm very yeah. excited to do it. It's been, it has been too long since we have done one of these, and it's always fun. Yeah, the pace we're going, it will take us uh, about 20 years to finish this show. So. Well, I mean, by that time, we'll sort of just be catching up around Shinkenger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know I talk about Shinkenger a lot, but that's like... That is sort of my touch point for more recent Sentai series, because that's the most recent series that I've watched all the way through. Right, okay. And, and also, Shinkenger is great, you guys. I don't think we're ever going to get to it, just because it's so far in the so future, but like, definitely watch that show. It rules. Uh, but you know what else rules? Is episode six of Choju Sentai Live Man. It is called Attack, the Dinosaur Who Lived. But of course, before we get into that, Mark... As always, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. Would you like to hear what our first star of the week is? I'm on tenterhooks, Matt. Uh, Mark, not only can you hear about the first star of the week, if you listen closely to the background of my audio track, you may actually hear our first star of the week. Okay. Because I have just bought myself an air conditioning unit. Oh, fancy. Which has sprung to life the moment that I uttered its name. <laughs> Uh, this is the first air conditioning unit I have. It's okay. It's the first air conditioning unit I've ever owned. It is the first time I have had air conditioning since I was in grad school. It's been at least eight years since I've had any sort of <laughs> air conditioning in my home. Maybe nine. I don't think it's as been as many as ten. But like. It has been so long that I kind of forgot about the option of air conditioning. Right. It seems um, like this is an appropriate year for it, this being the year that you have received your coronation as the king of summer. Well, see, that's the thing. Is for There was a moment that I thought about, like, man, if I'm the king of summer, do I want to get an air conditioner or do I just want to, like, soak in as much of that summer as uh, okay. possible? <laughs> Uh, and then I realized that being the king of summer is both about enjoying the summer to the the, the best of your ability, and also about respecting the summer's power. Uh, uh-huh. And, like, it is currently 90 degrees. Yeah. 
uh, where I am, and uh, I am wearing big, heavy headphones. So if this thing was not on, I would be kind of dying. So, yeah. super, super, like, this is not a, a joke-heavy star, <laughs> but, like, it's been kind of life-changing because for the last eight or nine years, every time the weather is bad, like, that hot, like, normally it's kind of manageable, right? Because, like, my apartment's on the first floor, it's, it has a pretty decent cross breeze. Yeah, There's not a lot I, of direct sunlight on it. I've stayed with you in the summer before. And if you kick a fan on while you're sleeping, your apartment stays pretty comfortable. Right. But here's the problem is that sometimes it rains. And so I can't leave my windows open <laughs> at night. And so I'm just like, this happened to me a few weeks ago. And I just woke up at like three in the morning in like a still hot room. Also, and like. Here's one other problem. Also, sometimes it rains. Sometimes mankind destroys the earth with the abusive use of fossil fuels and summers reach record highs. Yeah. And the thing is, when both of those things happen at the same time, (laughs) I have trouble sleeping. I know that's not the biggest (laughs) problem uh, related to that whole situation, but it's the one that I can do something about. Listen, the demands of summer is a mighty and temperamental beast, and I appreciate that you are respecting its power. Uh, anyway, super, super thrilled about it. Um, it is it is making this episode possible. Mark, what is our <laughs> second star of the week? Matt, I just bought a Star Wars book. Oh, that sounds yeah, dangerous. It is. I Man, we may have talked about this on the show before. I don't recall. I read a lot of the old Star Wars uh, extended universe, and I know you did as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I buried way too much. I occupied a lot of brain space with really unnecessary Star Wars canon information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And somewhere... Hey, real quick. Uh, what is the focusing crystal in Tenel Ka's lightsaber? Oh, I don't remember, and I feel bad. Ah, uh, don't worry about it. It was the Young Jedi series, not yeah. very well, not a very well beloved series. Uh, she tried to use like this volcanic thing, um, and then that was a flawed crystal, which is why it shorted out, and yep. her lightsaber shut off, and her arm got cut off, and then she later <laughs> remade it use uh, using a gem from like her royal, from like her crown, because yeah. she was like the princess of a planet or something. I, and the handle was a Rancor tooth. I will say, for whatever reason... That's just I, in there forever. That's just in my brain forever. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I really... I sort of still like the Young Jedi series. It, I, it landed a little better for me than a lot of the, the expanded universe. It's a really fun series. Like, I haven't read it in ages because it's out of print, but like... Right. Um, it was a really cool, like, it hit me at exactly the right time. Anyway, this is not, this is not the let's talk about Tanalka and Lobaka. So, somewhere around the time Chewbacca got killed by a moon or planet or whatever that was, I managed to extricate myself from the Star Wars Extended Universe. Yeah, New Jedi Order is sort of where I cut off. Same. And not necessarily because it was bad, although it pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also because those books were happening by the time we got to college. And when I went to college, we found, mostly at that point, to be honest, it was tabletop role-playing games just where right, all of my right. free time went for the next four years. There was, that, no, there was no time to read Star Wars books when we were playing a Star Wars tabletop game. Exactly. <laughs> so I made a nice clean break and I was out. I was out for a long time. 
And then I accidentally picked up a trilogy by Chuck Wendig, who is a great author. That that is a name that I know. Yeah, he's done a lot of things, uh, especially in the sort of the realm that connects like suspense to kind of present day science fiction-y, little bit of kind of Stephen King flavor, but not quite horror, but that kind of, you know, that realm. Okay. But he wrote a trilogy of Star Wars books, and they're really good. And now, now I'm reading Star Wars books again. There's like seven of them on my shelf, and I just bought... (laughs) I just bought a book called Alphabet Squadron, and Matt, it's new X-Wing books. Really? I mean, it's not about... You know, I mean, yeah, it's not about the Rogue Squadron. Yeah, but. it's not Corrin Horn and Arisi Delrat and all of them. Uh, there's no Myrax Tarek in it. But it is set immediately after Jedi, and it's about a ragtag band of fighter pilots who are pulled together as like a sort of cobbled together special squadron to solve one particular problem. And I'm only a few chapters in, and man, it already reads like the X-Wing books, which are my favorite of the extended universe. Man, I that sounds really exciting. I just remembered that I have had a tab open on my phone for the last week and a half <laughs> okay. because I saw a star I saw a Star Wars related thing out in the wild that I kind of wanted to turn into a star, and this is the perfect opportunity to bring it up. Yeah. There's a there's a beer called Sun Crusher. Oh no. And like, I mean, that's a great name, but I don't need Kip Duran anywhere. Like, there's not a picture of the Sun Crusher on it. The the can <laughs> makes no reference to Kip Duran or like you know the Jedi Academy it, trilogy. Yeah, and yeah, and let me tell you, I am actually I always kind of liked the Sun Crusher and Kip Duran. <laughs> like, I know that that is the wrong opinion, but I'm sticking to it. Oh man, but yeah. seeing a beer called Sun Crusher just like made me stop in my tracks. Yeah, that is legitimately pretty crazy. And I can't, like, is there a chance that that's a coincidence? I mean, maybe it could be a coincidence. It's such a specific thing, though. Like, <laughs> like that's, not a, that's not two words that mean anything else together. You know? At least not so far as no. I was able to tell. Didn't, didn't the Sun Crusher end up... Like getting sucked into one of the black holes at the Maw. I think that and sounds like Kip right. jammed himself into like a message pod or something. Like folded himself all up to survive. Yeah, it was. Uh, listen, the, the, it's it's a, the book. The book is a mess, but I do have fond memories <laughs> of it. That's fantastic. I did. Uh, I don't love those books, but I do really love me some Oral Quirk. How, how, or however you say that alien's name, I Corin Horn's roommate. Oh, right, right. And I only ever read it. I've never heard it pronounced by any other human. So I, I and it's a Star Wars name. Yeah, there's a lot of Star Wars names that are like that. <laughs> like, man, I read four books about this guy. I don't know how to have a conversation about him, though, because yep. like I can't make my <laughs> mouth make that sound. <laughs> All right, man. What is what is the third star this week? Uh, third star of the week. Um, last week I recommended a podcast. I'm doing it again this week. Okay. I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts recently. <laughs> um, I mean, I always do, but I've been listening to different ones recently. Sure. Um, and I have been doing like a sort of a deep-ish back dive 
on the podcast called The Retronauts. Is this a is this a show that you've ever listened to, Mark? No, I'm familiar with it, but I have not listened. Okay, The Retronauts is a show. It's been around for like ten years or something in various forms. Um, but it is a retro video gaming podcast, and they define retro by anything older than ten years old. Okay, that seems like, like a reasonable cut. Yeah, like that is their cutoff date. The weird thing about it, though, is that if you really think about it, like ten years ago was two thousand nine. <laughs> so, like, there are games that they will talk about that I'm like, that's not old. I played that in college. It's like, oh no, no, all of that is old. It's all ancient. But what's yeah. what, it, what is really interesting about it is that like the like I still play video games, right? Like I was playing video games this morning. Sure, yeah. But My daughter and I were just playing some Legend of Zelda together this morning. It's very good. I've been thinking about starting again. It's really um, good, and some of that uh, expanded content. Oh man. Oh, dude, the expanded content is extremely good. <laughs> um, yeah, that the the tra- the E three trailer got me very excited for ah, just yeah. more Zelda, even if it's just the same Zelda again. <laughs> um, anyway, um, but like, I am not like a super big video. Ga- I'm not as much of a video games guy as I was in high school and college, right? Just because, sure, like, yeah. I do not have time to be. Um, but in high school and college, I was a big video game guy. And listening to this podcast, they're all like all of the stuff they are talking about is the stuff that I got deep in on. You know, okay, like, yeah, it's all. You know, it's it's basically like like I played I played a lot of Nintendo, but like my prime period is like Super Nintendo through like GameCube, right? Like yeah, that I zone. Um, and so you know they'll be talking about like oh like there's a lot of very specific memories that I hadn't thought of in a long time. Like you remember when you would open up um and to open up a memory card to man- manage your data, and each individual game had like different. Little like lo- like moving logos to yeah. signify what game that data was of. Some of them were really clever. Yeah, like I hadn't thought of that in forever. I hadn't thought about the fact that when I worked at GameStop in two thousand one, I worked there when the Xbox and the GameCube came out during the same week. Ooh. You know, like they're doing. They did a lot of like like a deep exploration of like Mario Sunshine, which is a game that I very nearly one hundred percent completed. <laughs> well, we actually, I think yeah. you, and, you and I did that one together in college during that one perfect year of like everything that came out on the GameCube being Man, amazing. that year of beautiful for Nintendo titles. Yeah. Yeah. It might not have been a calendar year, but I think it was a 12 month period with Prime, uh, Metroid Prime, Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker and uh, Mario Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just been really fun. It's a cool show and like it's been around for a very long time so there are tons of episodes on a bunch of different things okay so if you like old video games and people talking about them uh i can recommend that (laughs) because just like keep scrolling back through until you see a game that you like and then listen to them talk about it for an hour and a half yeah that absolutely sounds right up my alley uh anyway speaking of things that are right up your alley mark what is our fourth star of the week Man, fourth star of the week is the uh, is the Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Four, fourth star. No, I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> so since I've been a little kid, the Fantastic Four has been my go-to book. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know if anyone can ever explain why they like what they like within comics, but I latched on specifically to Ben Grimm just as a real little kid. Well, I mean, Ben, like... 
you don't need to have a great reason to love the thing. He's (laughs) the best. He is absolutely the best. Like, he's not quite as good as Spider-Man, but other than that, you're not going to do much better than the thing. (laughs) But recent years... Oh, and they hang out often. The Spider-Man likes to hang out with the Fantastic Four. Oh, sure. You know, it works out. (laughs) But recent years have not been real great. Like, the Fantastic Four has not been on top their game, really, for a while. (laughs) Right. Well, they haven't even been around in a while until very recently. Yeah. And it's been a book that has struggled, even when it had some very strong runs, like the the Jonathan Hickman run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it has not really found its footing in a modern setting. Yeah, I never read. I never read the Fraction Final Fantasy or not Final Fantasy Fantastic Four book, but I did really like his um, FF book that he was writing at the same time. Well, let me tell you why this. <laughs> Why this start is on here. So the Fantastic Four have been back for a a bit now, about a year. I just got issue number 11. And man, it is a renaissance. So not only is the main title back, they launched it with a year-long run of Marvel 2-in-1s that were the thing in the Human Torch. Were Mm -hmm. really good. Super good book. Sue Storm, or Sue Richards, I suppose, has a limited series coming out. It's the first time she's fronted her own book. Oh, really? Which seems absurd, but is is apparently true, being written by Mark Wade, I believe. Okay, okay. Mark Wade has done great stuff on Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah, he really has. There's uh so there's this Prodigal Son miniseries that's happening, and the first three of them are Fantastic Four focused. In November, there's a Yancey Street book coming out. Okay. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds great. Is it just a book about the Yancey Street gang? I I don't know. <laughs> And starting, I think, later this month, uh, and it is not Fraction writing it, but the Future Foundation is launching as a regular title, not like a special run. I mean, it's Marvel, so it'll probably last like 11 issues and get canceled. Sure. But still, the Future Foundation is is relaunching. There's a new FF title coming, and I am delighted. I, I actually recently heard an interview with... I, now I'm, I suddenly cannot remember the name of the guy who's writing it, but I heard an interview with that guy, and he was going into, like, you know, just, like, how to approach those characters now that they are... Because they all got, like, they're all kind of older than the last time we saw them, right? So they're all, like, yeah. teens. Yeah, that's accurate, yeah. Um, And, like, how to approach writing, like, the, the wizard's, like, shitty teenage clone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very excited. And it's going to be largely, I think, independent of Reed and Sue, which will make it a different book as well. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's uh, what's his name from the Power Pack is leading it, right? Yeah, it's, uh, 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 oh, dang nabbit, Alex Power. Alex Power, that's the one. I can never, I remember Julie Power's name and I remember Katie's Power's name, but I can never remember... The two guys. (laughs) So the Fantastic Four picks up with uh, Reed and Sue coming back to Earth and uh, Franklin and Valerie are with them. And the rest of the FF is moving on. I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if they put Franklin and Valerie back in it. But it's still a really cool team. There's a lot of neat characters on there. Uh, Ahura's, I think, still in it. I think Dragon Man's going to be part of it. Oh, yeah. Love that dragon man. Uh, uh, Anomi, who the Wakandan is still in it, I think, from what I've heard. It's just a, it's a really neat lineup. And it's a it's a book that targets a lot of what the FF 
the Fantastic Four should be about, that sort of optimistic, future-facing, exploring the, the, the horizons of space. Yeah, and, 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 and also, with because it's not just going to have Alex Power, Julie Power is going to be in it as well. So it's nice. going to also maintain some of that like family feel yeah. that the Fantastic Four should always have. And yeah, I, I'm really I'm really excited about that. So here's real quickly, and we'll we'll bump off this star. I'm just excited that there's Fantastic Four all over the place right now. But one thing that's worth noting, and I don't know if this was the current book's being written by Dan Slott, who had a long run on Spider-Man prior to coming over. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was his decision or if someone in like the editorial staff came up with this. But one of the problems the FF has faced for a very the Fantastic Four have faced for a very long time is the kind of godlike power set of Franklin. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. Like if he is around, he is a problem. Right. And and that's part of what the FF was doing out in space is in the most recent uh, secret wars and all of the fallout. The, the multiverse got destroyed, and Franklin's been literally rebuilding the multiverse one planet at a time. But the the way they've kind of got around that in the current story is they have discovered very recently, and it may have been Valerie who figured it out, I can't remember, that Franklin actually has a limited well of power. Oh, okay, so like, he can do all of this stuff, but at some point he will run out of his ability to do so. Exactly. And it's a huge well, obviously. I mean, he's been building galaxies. But now that they're aware that his power is... His power is... Finite. As, it's yeah. huge, finite, perfect. It's enormously powerful, but it's finite. So now he can't waste it doing pretty much anything, right? He has to keep a a lid on how frequently he uses his power. And to me, that's been a very clever way to get around. Yeah, that is an elegant solution to that, uh, to that problem. Cause yeah, like <laughs> I love Franklin Richards. I, uh, man, I even love Franklin Richards when he was Psy Lord, when he had come back from the future <laughs> as part of the fantastic force. Yep. Um, but yeah, like he's just, it, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway, Mark, uh, that is all very exciting. What is our fifth and last star of the week? This is a short one, but it's one I think the King of Summer will appreciate. I've been going to the public swimming pool a lot this summer. Oh, I love a public swimming pool. Man, I forgot how amazing public swimming pools, or or any swimming pools are. And I know you were actually like a swimmer, a competitive, actual for real swimmer. Yeah, uh, Dave and I both were, and our sister as well, all growing up. That was like the thing we did. I grew up on the water as well, less in pools and more in lakes and rivers. But I, mm-hmm. like my childhood was just spent in the water all of the time. But at a certain age, I, I married a woman who does not like swimming. And so the two of us never went to, you know, like the pool or whatever together for fun. And you can't really go to the, there's a, I mean, you can, but it's challenging to go to the pool by yourself as a 30 some year old man. It's just a strange look. It is. Like, the only way you can really do that is if you're just swimming laps, which is yeah. very good for you, but not fun. <laughs> but I've got a kid now, and my kid really loves the pool, and she's turning into a pretty good swimmer. So now I had almost forgotten how much I loved the pool until this year. And we've been going regularly, and I'm in there playing around with my kid. Matt, the pool is great. It's very good. Do you, like, throw <laughs> stuff and then, like, 
like throw coins in and have to like dive to the bottom to grab them. Yeah, we do. And then like she'll stand on my hands and I'll stand up quick so she can jump into the air. Yeah, it's you know, super good. All the pool tricks. Guys, get yourself to a public pool or what, <laughs> whatever sort of pool. Don't go to the YMCA because that's basically all lap swimming. But Right, right. <laughs> but no, this is really fun. And my wife works at the grade school in our small town. There's like 500 people in our whole town. Okay. And so that means when we go to things like the public pool, it's just like, oh, hey, it's the Bells. They're, you know, everyone, mostly they know my wife and daughter. I'm just kind of You're just the, the guy who's also there. <laughs> right. But it's it's made, that also makes the pool, I think. Yeah, that is really nice. And that's, that is one of the nice things about this time of year. It's just like, everybody goes out. Well, you know, like, I guess you don't go outside if you have air conditioning. It's very bad. But like, during the <laughs> winter, during the winter, you tend to stay in a lot just because like, Driving in the snow sucks. Yeah. But during the summer, it's nice to, like, get out and go to the beach or, you know, go to the pool, go (laughs) to somewhere air-conditioned. Right. (laughs) Go to the movies. Like, you know, there's just a lot more being out and about. Yeah. Um, And you know I love being out and about, which is part of the reason that I am the king of summer. Um, Anyway, Mark, we're going to take a break. We're going to watch episode six of Live Man. I forgot to write down when it was uh, originally aired and who wrote it. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Here we go. Here we go. Written by... Oh, it's written by Hirohisa Soda. Hey, that's a name we know. That is definitely a name we know. Its original air date was April 2nd, 1988. Okay, so we're going to go to that and we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, welcome back. So, Live Man, still good, still a lot. There's a lot going on in here. (laughs) Man, okay, here's one of the weird things about Super Sentai, right? Sort of Mm -hmm. as a general thing. Since we watch an episode of of the series, right? Like the overall Super Sentai series every week. I get lulled into like a false sense of normalcy we're like it's always <laughs> weird but like the the episode of car ranger that i watched this or you know last week was not that much weirder than the episode that came before it sure it was maybe a little less weird than the one that came before that <laughs> right like the, the the baseline is like everything is very weird but like it doesn't deviate too much from like its standard like weirdness baseline mm-hmm. whereas when we watch an episode of live man like i haven't watched an episode of live man since November, I think. Sounds right. And so watching it today, it just completely blew me away. Like how <laughs> bizarre the things in this show are. Yeah. This is a particularly weird one anyway. Yeah. Oh, and the the other weird thing is that it is the, apparently the first part of a two-parter. Yeah. Yep. Did uh, not expect that. And so I guess we'll get back to that in some time. <laughs> But we do not need a conclusion for this to be fun to talk about because this was a really fun episode. This is true. Every time we do this, I am reminded anew just how much I love Live Man. And I like Sentai in general, obviously, but the framing universe of this show really works for me. Also, Live Man has a narrator. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, not, and not, like, Kaka Ranger had a narrator, right? But the narrator in Kaka Ranger was, like, a character. Right, yes. Who would, like, would do a thing. Live Man just sometimes gives you a bit of exposition from a narrator. 
Yeah, it does. And it's really like, I kind of wish they did that in more Sentai series because <laughs> they're always trying to fit so much into like a 22 minute episode. Yeah. It becomes that- a very handy way to bridge together set pieces without having to pause for a character to kind of turn to camera and take up a minute of episode time explaining something out loud that they really didn't need to. Anyway, so we start on the narrator. Uh, we are up in space. We are on uh, the, 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 the Brain Army Volts, like, uh, satellite death station. Yep. And the, uh, the evil geniuses are studying hard <laughs> and working at their brain experiments. That, yeah, that was some solid exposition there up top. They're trying to prove to uh, Professor Bias that, it, that they have what it takes to take over the world. Right. Like, th- the feeling that I got from this is that they 100% believe that Professor Bias will take over the Earth. Like, that is not a question in their mind. Right. The only issue is that they are trying to make certain that when that does happen, that they are the people who get put in charge. Yeah, and there's this interesting sense. The first three episodes of this show or so were very much setting up the premise. And as we're now starting to settle into the rhythm of the week to week, there's this interesting almost competition cooking up between... Uh, Kemp, Mendoza, Mazenda, rather, and Oblar. So the three of them, they're, they're allies and they're friends, but they're all trying to be the one to make the uh, brain beast that's going to do the thing. Right. Oh, and also, in case you had forgotten, Professor Oblar is now a monster man. Yeah, that's right. He used to be a guy. He's not a guy anymore. Now he's a hideous beast. (laughs) It's interesting because of the three of them. So these three abandoned their friends together to join with Professor Bias. And there is uh, Dr. Kempu, who becomes the, I think, the beautiful beast Kemp. Yes. He goes back and forth. There's Dr. Mazenda, who becomes Machine Mazenda. Yeah, and she's made out of guns. Right. And then there's Dr. Oblar, who is just now a permanent monster all of the time. Right. Like, there were a couple of episodes where he would be a regular guy, and then he would get, like, a crazy monster face and monster hands. But but, but by the end of the episode, he would turn back into a regular guy. And the last time we saw him, he just went full monster and apparently is now still just a full monster, but also still hanging out with them on the space station all the time. Yeah. His relationship to them did not change when he climbed into a giant rubber suit forever. (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting. So I think the last episode we watched, we saw, I think it was Engine Brain, right? The the brain beast that could take over car engines? Yes, that episode was the Reckless Driving Engine Monster. Which I think think was one of dr kemp's creations if i remember correctly yeah weirdly the reckless driving engine monster is definitely something that should have been in car ranger yeah absolutely like that is way more of a car ranger monster than any of the monsters we actually get in car ranger (laughs) that's a good point but this week it's dr oblar's turn he has created a brain beast that is going to he thinks is going to take over the world Yes, so he, he has crafted a capsule. Man, has he. It is a... 
It is a time chaos capsule. <laughs> yep. It's just like this. It's a. It's a. It's like a man-sized glass cylinder, right? That's mm-hmm. sealed on both ends. Inside of it is a like a big like grandfather clock, cuckoo clock thing. Yeah. But the clock. So far, you may think, how is this science? <laughs> And how is this a brain experiment? <laughs> the way that this has become a brain experiment is that there are just also brains in there. And yeah. those brains have wires plugged into them. And those wires are then plugged into the clock. Yeah. this So is now, a, that, now it's a time chaos capsule. It's a glass display case, kind of like the one that the Enchanted Rose from Beauty and the Beast is in, except for human-sized. Yeah, or like the, uh, the sort of display cases that Batman keeps his costumes in. Yes. Like, you know, Batman kept Jason Todd's costume in, in the, uh, the Batcave. Yeah, exactly. And there are two things in this thing. There's clocks and there are brains and they're just wired up together. Yep. <laughs> and so Professor Bias walks over. He's like, hey, man, what do you got going on here? And Abelar explains, this is my time chaos capsule. Inside this capsule is like a zone of... Uh, unstable space-time. Unstable space-time. Absolutely. And so if we use, like, the unstable space-time energy from this capsule, we can then use that to, like, craft a monster who is able to... I'm sorry, a brain beast, who is able to harness that unstable space-time power so that they can, like, control it. Yeah. Bias loves this. And apparently to him, it makes sense. Which it it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm not an evil space genius, (laughs) you know? In terms of giant rubber-suited monsters, a monster who can control the flow of space and time? It's pretty nuts. Even by Sentai standards, that's an intense power set, my man. It is. We don't get time monsters a lot. We've gotten them a few times, right? Like, there was definitely a space-time mammoth. And can we posit that... So we're going to create Brain Beast Timed Zuno, who I would suggest may make the worst use of time travel powers for anyone in any media I've ever seen. Yeah, he has enormous... Like, he has straight-up, like time travel at will powers. Yep. And he is practically useless. <laughs> He's real bad. So the so we to make the brain beast because as you say there's an unstable field of space-time inside this capsule of brains and clocks. But to to sort of agitate the unstable time-space molecules they need the help of Gardnoid Gash. 1988's why? breakout character. Yeah, he's so great. I love Gardnoid Gash. I don't know why they need him. What he does seems very improbable to me, but I was excited to see him anyway. See, so <laughs> he is summoned. A door opens. Yep. Gardnoid Gash is standing on the other side of that door. But you can only see most of him because Gardnoid Gash is like, Half a foot taller than the door. <laughs> and like, listen, I get it. It's a, it's kind of a biggish costume and it's probably larger than, 
you know, like a regular man standing there. But it's sure. not a regular door. It's a door they made. It's a door <laughs> yeah. in the space station. You did it. Like, if it was much shorter and he was like a big, like a really big guy and he had to like hunker down to get through, I right. can see that being like imposing or intimidating. Like, oh my gosh, behold the size of Gardner and Gash. But it's not that. <laughs> right. It's just a guy who has to like kind of watch his head as he goes through a doorway. Yep. I, I do like the it's like premise me that, in an old house. The premise that this sets up for me, which is that Gardnoy Gash is always prepared and maybe just always behind the next door. Potentially. Because he's never around until they need him. But when it's time for Gardnoid Gash, anywhere at any time in the six episodes of the show that we've seen, when it's time for Gardnoid Gash, he is just strolling over the horizon. Yeah. And it. Oh. He's got that giant arm and that he weird does. robot eye. I mean, he's got a weird <laughs> robot everything. He's a weird robot man. And he just shoots something into that capsule. Some, some sort of like red lightning lasers. You know, yeah. standard stuff. And it turns the unstable molecules into the brain beast Taimizuno. Yes. Who has like big like clock arms on his torso. And otherwise, just sort of looks like a monster. Like, there's not a lot of other... No. There's not a strong visual theme to him. Not a ton of effort put into this costume. And those clock arms are absurd. They protrude, I don't know, nine inches out of his chest? They're like way forward. too big. It's, it's ridiculous. So he's got, we will find out, he's got a dual set of time control powers, which, again, should make him the most unstoppable creature at least on the face of this earth, because he can both forward and rewind immediate time. Mm -hmm. So if something happens that he doesn't like, he can just literally walk it back. He can, he can also, also spe he can speed up and slow down time as oh, well. Oh, that's right. He can also speed up and slow down time. Good point. And he can time walk. Yeah. He can just say like, okay, well, it's time for me to time travel. I'm going to move the arms on, like, the clock arms on my torso around a little bit. And I'm going yeah. to go back 70 million years. Just going to step right through time. And that's what they do. 70, that, that is their plan. We have a monster who can manipulate the flow of space and time and step in and out of the time stream at will. What should we do with him, Matt? Well, obviously, you send him back 70 million years so that he can grab some dinosaurs <laughs> and bring those dinosaurs back to modern-day uh, Tokyo and have them go on a rampage. We, we, we see this explanation by way of a painting that has been made that is just <laughs> dinosaurs wrecking the city. <laughs> And I love the fact that, like, somebody who worked, like, somebody in the creative department of this show had to spend a couple of days just painting this picture. I, I mean, I don't know how long it took. And it looks like it is, it is of the quality of, uh, like, the type of mural that you'd see on a municipal city building. Mm -hmm. But not a new one, like a, a, no. one that you would have seen that was made in, well, I guess made in 1988, if I'm being right, fair. Right. <laughs> it's just dinosaurs attacking Tokyo. Or it looks like the bootleg Disney character murals that are on the outside of every single um, like child <laughs> care place. Yep. Why, yep. Do, why is it that Disney is famously litigious, but every single child care place 
just has a painting of Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse just hanging out on the front, but like with slightly the wrong color clothes. I honestly don't know. There's a there's a childcare place nearby to me called the Rainbow Connection that has a picture of Kermit painted on it. I don't think you're allowed to do that. <laughs> so anyway, so we're going to go back and I'm, this is a silly use of time travel power, granted, but at least I mean, if you can control time, there's better ways to take over Tokyo than this. But at least, OK, I can see it through the lens of a madman, right? I have I have the power to travel through time. I'm going to go get giant, ferocious enormous flesh-eating beasts and unleash them on Tokyo. Yeah. Okay, I'm kind of with you. It's a little weird, but okay. It's a little weird, especially because they can already make ferocious beasts. A very good point. And they can make them giant, which is something I would like to come back to in a bit. Like, what is the purpose of going like making a monster to go back in time to get other monsters just make them <laughs> just make a monster yep anyway maybe, maybe the idea is that nothing that they could make would ever be as ferocious as like a real earth dinosaur sure so time and zuno goes back it's a, and it's, a, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool effect yeah, he like it moves is. the arms on his body and, like, there's a bit where you see, like, clock arms spinning backwards, like, superimposed on the screen. Yeah. And you get some sort of, there's a visualization where the camera is, like, looking at this, like, glowing tube. And it is panning from right to left. So, like, moving backwards. So, you it sort of gives you the idea of moving backwards through a time stream. Yeah. It's, it's some classic kind of low-budget sci-fi time travel i like it a lot and i sort of like the set they use it's a little reminiscent of like the old land of the lost kind of sets Uh uh-huh and there's this just this giant brightly colored flower and like a paper mache pterodactyl oh my gosh all of the dinosaur like all of the dinosaur (laughs) effects in the past are just you would think looking at these dinosaur models that no one who worked on this television show had ever made a giant rubber monster suit. <laughs> but they do. Every week, they do. They've, they've made thousands of them over yeah. the years. They're probably yet... among the most experienced studios in the world at making giant rubber monster suits. Right, and yet, when they go back in time, all of these things look like I made them. Yep. <laughs> And I am not a talented rubber suit craftsman, I will tell you that. <laughs> so we'll leave Tamizuno there for now. He goes back in in into the far, far past, rife with enormous flesh-eating dinosaurs. And now we meet our live men. Back in the present time, uh, Yasuki, Joe, and Megumi, in their non-Sentai form, just dressed in their regular old civilian clothes, are out at a place called, I think, Mikazuki Mountain? Uh, that is correct. Because but there's been... I was going to say, what, why, why are they there, Mark? <laughs> well, there have been rumors of dinosaur sightings. Sure. Of course there have been. And when there's rumors of dinosaur sightings, you definitely send your three smartest teenagers to check it out. 
But the thing is, they're not necessarily, like, they have not been sent there. I don't think they're there in their capacity as live men. Oh, that's true, yeah. They're just there because Yusuke is super into dinosaurs, and he does believe that they can still exist in this world. Passionately so, he believes this. Yes. Like, to the point where Joe, the Yellow Ranger, like, is making fun of him, and he's like, no, (laughs) I'm just a romantic soul. Like, and, and then Megumi just, like, rolls her eyes... Because these two are just squabbling over yep. which one of them is, like, the most, like, cool, like, <laughs> yeah. dino fan. There is a point where Megumi refers to Yasuki as, I think, uh, the Prince of Romance, which was very good. It's Yeah, it's right after this, because Megumi is, like, sort of around the corner, and she sees a footprint, and she says, hey, like, ro- like romantic prince, like, get over here. <laughs> consistently in this show so far throughout the three episodes six episodes that we've watched Megumi seems to be the one that sort of has it all together and is kind of holding the team together yeah like like, she is often the stable voice of reason who's kind of rolling her eyes at the boys antics and making sure they keep getting pointed back towards the mission I do wonder how that dynamic is going to evolve when the other live men join the group yeah uh, but it, but so she she has found this di- this footprint and they roll over and like it is obviously like a big clawed footprint right it's there's only one of them right as opposed to a path but they find a, a singular footprint, footprint and they say oh my gosh this footprint is nothing like anything that exists on Earth during our <laughs> present time it's like guys this is episode six of a show where you fight monsters episode six <laughs> right. there have been five other you've seen monsters I'm sure like. <laughs> Half of them have a foot that roughly looks like this. You should not think a dinosaur is alive. You should think, oh no, the brain army vault is attacking. <laughs> but now, then, of they course, also hear the dinosaurs, Matt. Yeah, I mean, listen, because it is what it is, like, they're right. There is a dinosaur. <laughs> but it is an absurd presumption. Yeah. It's, well, it's also an absurd dinosaur. Oh, so we finally do. This is where we meet our... One singular dinosaur that was brought back from the past. Yeah, he did not bring back a dino menagerie. He brought back a dinosaur. He brought back a six foot two T Rex. <laughs> it's a baby. He brought back a baby dinosaur. I did not realize at first that this was meant to be a baby dinosaur. Because, like, it, yeah, it does. It looks like a. It, more than anything, honestly, it looks like a baby Godzilla. Yep, yep. Because it's got, like, it is. It is upright in the way that, like, a T-Rex would be, but its proportions are very Godzilla, and it's got, like, the back spines that Godzilla has. Yeah. Yeah. And so we see this dinosaur chasing a child through a quarry. And then Yusuke and Joe are like, oh, well, obviously it's time to jump kick this dinosaur directly in the head. Yeah. (laughs) Which, hey, I get it. There's a dinosaur chasing a kid. Sure. The dinosaur chasing a kid. It's amazing because we know this is Sentai. It's a man in a rubber suit. But something about it looks even, I mean, it's a cheap costume, but it looks even worse than usual because dinosaurs and humans should not move the same way. Right. But because there's a man inside that suit operating that suit, this is a dinosaur who is running in the like running form and shape of a human male. 
Yeah, which when it's a monster from space, I'm like, okay, whatever. It's it's yeah. a humanoid monster, even though it kind of looks like a dinosaur. But if it's supposed to be an actual dinosaur, <laughs> it should not look anything like that. Yeah. So, so the the guys jump kick this dinosaur, um, but it's you know it's a small dinosaur, but it's still tough. So yep. they're trying to fight it. They're not doing super great because they haven't transformed. Uh, and while they're doing this, Megumi is trying to get the boy away from the, the scene of the action. But he does not want to go. In fact, he is shouting like, hey, stop. Yeah, the boy is defending the dinosaur. I love the kick in the head because it demonstrates how rubber the suit. Like they didn't even stuff that thing with any foam or whatever. <laughs> when its head gets kicked, the suit just kind of flops around. I mean, that's just how lizards work. <laughs> I guess so. And the dinosaur retaliates for the kick by, was it Joe? Biting Joe in the butt. He does bite Joe's butt. He, he just bites right onto it and does not let go. Yep, just chomps on. But not as though it is trying to consume him, kind of like a dog who's playing tug of war. Yeah. And that is, as it turns out, what kind of is happening here. The boy runs over and starts yelling at the dinosaur and says, Hey, gone, stop attacking. Right. Like, what are you guys all doing? Like, please, this is my dino friend. (laughs) And Megumi does immediately point out that uh, Joe has a tasty butt, which was just a fun comment. Yeah, like they get him back to the, the cabin where the boy lives with his grandfather. Right. And their pet dinosaur, gone. (laughs) Um, and they're like patching up his butt and she says put that butt away like the only reason like he was eating it is because his butt looks so tasty which is like man okay Megumi I like Megumi she does not mess around Um, here's what is weird about this dinosaur other than everything Um, (laughs) is that his name is Gon yep there is like a manga series about a like a little orange dinosaur named Gon. Really? Yeah. He was he was a character and he was like an unlockable character in one of the Tekken games as well. Okay. Like I, I bet if you googled this thing you would like recognize what he looks right. like. Let me ask the Google bot. Google but he, find me dinosaur Gon, please. Oh, yep, there he is. Yeah, see? But here's what's Little weird. Dinosaur. That manga ran from like started in nineteen ninety one. So I assumed that this thing being named Gone was a reference to that thing, which was like a super long running story. Sure. But like, it's just a complete coincidence. And now I'm wondering why you would name a dinosaur Gone. Like, if that is based on some sort of like Japanese pun. (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to have that brief aside. If any of you know, please, please uh, get at me. The the grandpa in so they're in the they're in this cabin where boy lives with his grandpa and the grandpa does offer some sort of explanation for why they named him gone. Well, he says we named him gone because like he's stuck around and we like him, but that 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 what that did that not doesn't seem, seem to be to an track. explanation. No, but what we learn is this boy just has the most precise and useful backstory possible. For a boy who lives in a cabin in the woods and finds a dinosaur on a mountain. Yeah, his parents, as it turns out, 
were paleontologists who died when they were on like a dig site somewhere. But their parents really believed that dinosaurs still existed in the modern world. That, yep. That's so. A, that's just a whole bunch of backstory that we get. I would love to unpack that more, but we don't. We don't have time. Nope. They just died. They're paleontologists who died at work. Yep. Hey, listen. Sometimes paleontologists die at work. It happens. It's a tragedy. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well. Um. But sort of in their honor and memory, their son whose name is Kenichi, uh, yes. has kept the dinosaurs in the present torch burning on their behalf. Right, and so when he met Gon, he was like, oh my gosh, it's true, it's all true. My parents' <laughs> theories were all correct. Dinosaurs still exist. <laughs> yep. And they just became best friends, like a boy and a dino will do. I mean, that part is obvious. Everything else about this episode is kind of <laughs> weird. But of course, that would make sense. Do you remember the cartoon show Denver, The Last Dinosaur? I remember it existing. I don't think I ever really watched it. <laughs> this episode has shades of Denver for me. Except for Denver was a cool dinosaur who wore sunglasses and played the guitar. Did he also have like a Letterman jacket? He did. Okay. Yeah, yeah I know who you're talking about. <laughs> he was a radical dinosaur and... Much like everything in the immediate wake of E.T., there was some evil corporate guy after him. I think in E.T. it was the government, and in this case, it might have been sort of like a like a circus owner or a okay. like a stage presenter. I forget, but like they wanted to capture him to make him do shows, you know. Now, I know that Denver, the last dinosaur, was both the child's friend and a whole lot more. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, proof that dinosaurs could exist in this modern day. Uh, I think he was an egg that just took forever to hatch or something, though. He was not yanked forward through the machinations of a brain beast. Okay. <laughs> so we're in this cabin. Man, that would right? be, but that would have been a weird first episode of Denver the Last Dinosaur, right? <laughs> <laughs> if, the, like, the first episode is identical to this, and then it just splits <laughs> off, and it's about a guitar-playing, like, dinosaur... <laughs> Man, we don't know that's not where this is going to go. There's a cliffhanger. That's true. That's Maybe true. Maybe when we come back, Gon will be on stage rocking like a keytar or something. We can only hope. <laughs> and it turns out, though, that this boy and Gon have been hanging out for like 10 days now. Yes. So as they're explaining all this, you see like a bright flash of light from the outside. Right. And it was the same bright flash of light that they saw when Gon first appeared. So they yes. run out to see what's happening, and as it turns out, that is the that is the like the effect that is made when Time Zuno travels through time, and he has arrived here, yeah. and he's looking for his lost dinosaur because he only got the one, and he really needs it back, or his boss is going to be furious. Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess he's new. He doesn't really have a handle on how these powers work yet. Sure. So maybe a gap of only ten days isn't bad. I don't. I don't know. So they they all start to oh and then uh, Oblar shows up and Oblar is like that is my that is my dinosaur not your dinosaur <laughs> you need to give it to me now like I because I need that dinosaur to like ravage the city here's the thing though so Yosuke are they just planning to spend the next like three years raising and training this dinosaur this is like a long term plan well yeah but if they do that then they can just hop back another three years <laughs> I guess so. set them loose. <laughs> um, 
So, Yosuke is furious about this, but he's no. not mad that they're trying to destroy Tokyo. He's mad that they have broken Kenichi's heart. Because, yeah. like, they have, like, you know, now it's not that the dinosaur has been, you know, dinosaurs have been alive all this time. It's that this thing has been brought forward through time. Yeah. So his parents' uh, theories are no longer being proven correct. And also, now they're here to take away his friend. Like, yeah, that is, is what upsets clearly... him clearly doing a little bit of projecting here because he is also at his heart a boy who believes in dinosaurs and he is working through his own issues in the form of uh, Kenichi. Yeah. <laughs> so Kenichi does what every young child in every Sentai show ever does in this situation, which is run away from all the adults. I mean, the adults are about to get into like a fight with laser beams, so I get it. Not a bad move, really. So uh, they, they get into a big fight. Um, the live men transform, but they yep. get sort of caught in the loop because Time Zuno is uh, like speeding them up and slowing them down. And it's causing them to like flip around and like be completely like knocked off their feet. Yeah. Eventually. Just making the silliest use of his powers again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But the effect is kind of cool because like. What they're doing, like what they're doing, is just speeding up and slowing down the like the video, right? Of them doing flips, but it does communicate effectively that the time itself is being sped up or slowed down. What happens then is that um, Megumi summons her dolphin bow and shoots two arrows at Time Dizuno that like pin his because there's there's like holes in the ends of the. Uh, the clock arms on him and it pins the clock arms in place so he can't move them back and forth and apparently if you can't <laughs> physically move the clock arms then you can't travel through time i guess not yeah that's a weird design choice uh and so like they're able to zap time to do now and oblar and whatever their uh putties are called and like right. the fight is now over and everyone sort of retreats yeah, and they're all just hanging out at a lake now. Yeah, because they just all go to a lake. They'll just go to a lake. Kenichi is very sad because he, is, yep. he thinks that time travel isn't like he. All of this other stuff seems reasonable, but he's like, time travel can't be true, right? Like it has yeah. to be that this dinosaur has always been around, and Yosuke is trying to comfort him, but he also says like, "Hey, listen." If he's not from around now, like, look at him. He is sad. Like, he misses his family. He has his own world to get back to. And we- man, there is some serious, when he says the dino's sad, the camera turns over to Gon, and there's some serious uh, dinosaur panto going on here. Mm-hmm. As this dinosaur does his best miming to indicate how sad and dejected he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not literally, like, rubbing his eyes to no, mimic no. the fact that he would be crying, but, like, it's one step down from that. <laughs> um, so, eventually, he gets everyone to agree, like, listen, we need to send him back in time. Here's the problem. Okay, he gets the other two live men to agree. Kenichi is not into right? this. But the problem is the only way they could actually do this, like, they don't have the ability to time travel, so they need to, like capture time the Zuno right and like force him to comply yes yeah 
Um, but as they're talking about this, like, Gon sort of, like, turns on them and roars, and the two guys sort of, like, trip over each other and are struggling to get up to uh, sort of a standing position, and Kenichi and Gon have run away from Just them. Just run away again. And they and... have run to the quarry, and of course, in the quarry, the monsters are already there, because where right. else would they be? Yeah, the uh, quarry is just filled with jimmers. Is that what jimmers? they're called? Yeah, I think it's jimmers. I think that's right. Boy, that's one sounds... of them gets his face cut off. And Matt, did you know jimmers are terminators on the inside? I feel like we've seen this happen before. Or <laughs> if we haven't seen this happen before, I know we've seen a similar thing happen in. Um, I think it would have been O Ranger. So all of the jimmers attack. The live men show up. And it just becomes a fight in a quarry, you know. Classic, classic. As per. And then Colin, the the robot lady, just drives by in a car. Yeah, she just shows up in a Jeep that has a big gun on top. And she just runs over a bunch of the Jimmers. Yeah. It's got a gun full of net on top. Is this a car that we've seen before? I was trying to remember. It, it was not familiar to me. It's possible that we have seen it before, but I did not remember it. I don't remember Colon usually coming out of uh, the Grand Tortoise. Yeah, me neither. This might be the first time we've seen her out and about. Or maybe not. It's been a very long time <laughs> since we watched this show. So uh, but they, in any case, she has done this now. Yes, and they use the gun on top of her Jeep to capture Taimizuno because it's a net gun. Yeah, it's a net gun, and then the net is still, like, attached to the bumper of the car. So they just get him in the net and just start driving around and dragging this guy. Yeah, which is boy. brutal. Like, I yes. know that, like, later they're going to kill him with a glowing sword, but, like, this seems a lot more violent than that. So this happened in the show that I regularly watch. We On Mount Olympus, we talk about Hercules and Xena. And we just had an episode where Xena tied Gabrielle behind a horse and drug her through the countryside. Well, that's, that's, that's mean. Yeah, it's the <laughs> conclusion of a very long and very intense arc that involves both of their children dying. You may not remember that they both had kids, because it's a terrible story, but they both had children, <laughs> they both died. And Great. I commented on that show as well, that dragging someone behind a horse or a vehicle is about as cruel as humanity can get. Like, short of implementation, you know, torture devices... It's brutal. That's yeah. it's. I mean, it, it's a real thing that happened historically, and it's 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 as bad as bad gets. Yeah, and so seeing it in the context of this show, especially yeah. because we know that what they're trying to do is like force this monster to do something for them. They're just like right. dragging him around until he agrees to use his time travel <laughs> powers, like in the way that they want him to. They, yeah, they finally stop. I think it's Yusuke puts a gun to his head and yeah. commands him to put the dinosaur back where he belongs. And he says, okay, okay, cool. I just need to like do my time thing to be able to do it. Right. And then, in, in the one moment of competence that Time Zeno <laughs> has, instead of doing what the guy, what Yusuke has asked him to do and sending the dinosaur back in time, he just time travels back to the beginning of the fight. To, like, back when he was winning, and then yeah. just beats them all up. That's a good move. This is what this guy should be doing all of the time. You don't need dinosaurs, pal. Just every time you make a mistake, rewind time back to before the mistake. 
Yeah, this is something that um, Kazu would do sometimes in Die Ranger, but not nearly yeah. enough, and it bothered me then as well. Like, rewind time back and pick a bigger dinosaur, my man. Yeah. Uh, anyway. anyway. So, <laughs> we're back to the beginning of the fight. He has not yep. yet been captured. And so he's like, you know, I feel like this kid is causing a lot of trouble. I'm just going to shoot the kid. Yeah. Time Zuno says this, not Yusuke. Right, right. So he tries to shoot um, Kenichi, but Gon, like, jumps in the way of the blast and gets hit himself. I yep. thought in this moment that Gon was just 100% dead, and that that's As how we were I. solving the problem of him getting back to his time. Um, but no, apparently we will see in a moment that he is not dead. But I think right. that the live men also think that he's dead, because they go completely, like... Like, it is now time for them to exact their vengeance. Yeah, this this kicks into the finale of the show. We know what's happening from here out. Because they're going to get their weapons, they're going to get their their vehicles. It's time for all of that. They're going to summon their giant very cannon. Quickly. I like their giant cannon in this show. I love it, I like it, that yeah. it gets summoned by that, like, very 1988, like, blue glowing wireframe animation. Yeah, the Biomotion Buster. They do that. They zap him. Uh, Giga Phantom just strolls out of the hills. I'm sorry, Gardenoid Gash strolls out of the hills and yep. unleashes the Giga Phantom, which remains one of my favorite Make My Monster Grow devices. Yeah, and I don't know what the Giga Phantom is or how it operates. I don't know if. Like, it's a Giga Phantom beam, or if the monster has now been revived as a Giga Phantom. Yep. I'm very in the dark about it, but it's a cool effect. He just shoots, like, a red electricity, like, tornado beam at the dead monster, and then it becomes giant. So they summon the robots, they form them into uh, Live Robo. Live Robo is not messing around. He, like... Again... The this sort of violence on display seems a lot more like pronounced in this show. Like when yes. Live Man punches this thing, he punches it. Like it is not just a like choreographed, oh now the giant robot is here sort of move. Like he like picks it up and throws it on the ground. It is a yeah. mean fight. We've mentioned before, because this show starts out with betrayal and murder and like, episode one is hard. And it stays hard. I mean, it's still a kid's show, but it does not pull punches. Yeah. Uh, so right. Live Robo, like, suplexes this guy and then just puts a spear into his belly. It's his, it's, it's Time Zuno's spear. Like, Time yep. Zuno throws the spear, Live Robo catches it, and then just, like, impales the dude with it. Hits him with the, the live beam which is like a big laser that comes out of its chest, right. and then summons his sword and cuts him in half. Yeah, it's real intense. This is a very one-sided fight. Yeah. And this is when we discover that it's a, a two-parter, because instead of, they're like, oh man, we're really sorry that we had to kill that thing, like, because now we can't send Gon back to his time, but we had to do it or else, you know, we would be... You know, it was just too dangerous. Right. So we'll we'll figure something else out, maybe, whatever. We just got to find Kenichi and Gon. But Kenichi and Gon are just running. They're because, doing what they do best. Right, because Ablar 
Ablar does not care that his monster has just died. He still wants that dino. So Ablar and uh, Gardenoid Gash are just like stalking this child and his dinosaur friend. And that's how this episode ends. <laughs> yeah, they have they are in the wind. I will say the very last thing we get is Gardenoid Gash unveiling a new power, which is the video eye. Oh, yeah. It's like the zoom in feature where he can like. Yeah. <laughs> track people along a distance. So he sees them disappearing on the far horizon, and that is that's we're done. Yeah. Um. Now, normally this time of shit, this time of the episode is when we go into the creature royale, but we don't put the live man uh, monsters on the creature royale because it would. I feel like it would sort of mess up the list. Yeah, um, I agree. I feel like he would time time Zuno. If for no other reason that his name is very difficult to pronounce, because very low on this list. Terrible use of his powers, bland costume. Yeah, he's a bad monster. Terrible use of very good powers. That's yeah. the problem. I think we should, and I don't know when the next time an episode of Live Man will be in the Super Sentai podcast stream. But we might want to consider watching the next episode and recording it fairly soon to keep this one so we don't have a six-month gap and try to remember what just happened. Right, like, okay, who is gone? Why is any of this happening? Because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's just going to lead me to Googling the manga again and because I'm not going to re- re-listen to this. Uh, anyway, um, do, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on the episode? I know we don't really have a... Uh, a, uh, a closing segment on these Live Man. No, the same thoughts I have every time we watch Live Man, which is that Live Man is great and Live Man is hard. Yeah. Uh, and that, I guess, is going to do it for another episode of You Only Live Man Twice. Uh, before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we are talking about online we are on twitter at super sentai bros if you like the show and i hope that you do please uh give us a five star rating in the apple podcasts app i always like to say in the in the itunes review section there are five stars but i think itunes is going away i need to rewrite the script for this show (laughs) um it's not hard to find us we're on almost every major podcast distribution platform and it's a pretty specific name. There are not a lot of programs out there called the Super Sentai Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio, specifically a production of uh, Mark, who does the, the the good and hard job of making this show come <laughs> together and sound good every week. Thank you very much, Mark. Yeah. Um, actually, Mark, while we are on that topic, why don't you tell the good folks where they can find you and your other shows? Yeah, you can look up our little network on Twitter at RO Radio. Or, as you were saying a minute ago, at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com, we just brought on board a new show. Uh, and in what is a first for us, we brought on board a show that we did not have to create. So oh. Mindful Self-Indulgence, which is a podcast done by a really uh, clever and fun guy named Dan Ellis, just started its second season. And as of their second season, they are joining us on the Retrograde Orbit Radio banner dan does kind of long form interviews so unlike most of our other shows which are kind of watch and react oriented for the most part from you know eurovision to hercules to sentai 
Dan's show is kind of long form interviewed one on one with a guest as they talk about a specific topic. It's really fun. So go look up Mindful Self Indulgence, a new retrograde orbit radio podcast. Very nice. I hope that you do that. And I hope that you come back next week um, to this show. Please don't leave us. We need you. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> uh, anyway, this has been the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Matt. I'm Mark. And we'll see you next time for the greatest show on earth. Yeah, you're the man.